Two things I wanted to bring up before we press on. First of all, this year, Christmas is on a Monday. Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. And so we've been talking about our service. Typically, we do a Christmas Eve evening service. Thank you so much. You are the kindest person. At least right now you are. Uh, oh, no, she's, she's a pretty kind person, most always. Uh, but we've been talking about it, and this year we're going to do the, our regular 9 a.m. service on Christmas Eve morning and nothing in the evening. We just talk, kind of prayed about it, talked about it a little bit, and talked to a couple families, and it seems like, you know, we're going to encourage you, family time, spend time with your family and friends, Christmas Eve, whatever you do. But we will do our typical, what we normally do on Christmas Eve on Christmas morning. So what that means is... It will be a family service. The kids will be in uh, candlelight, kind of, you know, special music, whatever, whatever. So, so that will happen at our normal time of 9 a.m. So I want to let you guys know that. So if you're planning, you're kind of wondering. The second thing, can I do this? Can I give a little shout out to Mercy? Is that okay? So I'm going to say uh, Mercy McVicker is in Pride and Prejudice. She has one of the lead roles at PCC's production of Pride and Bridges. Today at 2 o'clock is the last showing of that. And we went last night. It is so stinking fun. You should go today at 2 o'clock and see her. In, in the beginning, in the, in the play, one of the, the opening sort of introductory lines of the play, they introduce her as Miss Jane Bennett, the eldest and most beautiful of the Bennett girls. And sitting behind me was her father, sister, and boyfriend. And somebody said, damn right. I, I don't know who said that, but I'm going to agree. I just thought it was tremendous. So uh, seriously, if you're not doing anything today, even if you are, cancel your plans. Stay here. Help us hand out turkeys. And immediately... Go over to PCC and see Mercy. She is cuter than a bug, all dressed up with her little ringlets. So I'll just give you that. Um, So, hey, we are uh, in a series in the book of Ephesians called Walking in the Way of Love. Last week, we looked at sort of the latter part of chapter 4. We talked about vital signs, some indications of new life in Christ. I want to reiterate today, just make sure that we're we're all uh, completely understanding that what these passages are talking about, especially last week and today, uh, we're, we're not talking about like, you know, saved by works kind of thing. Those behaviors that Paul describes to us are not things we do to garner favor with God. They're not things we do to get on God's good side to make Him like us better. They're not things we do uh, so that He will bestow grace upon us. Those things are done freely given to us up front. What these are... There are simply signs of new life in Christ. If your life is in Christ, if you're alive, if you're alive, okay, you have vital signs, right? Right? You you do, and if you yeah. So if you're alive in Christ, you also have some vital signs. If you're alive in Christ, your life will be marked by things like living and walking in truth, by letting go of anger, by being productive in your life and in the kingdom of God, by speaking things that build others up and not tear others down by being kind, compassionate, and forgiving towards one another. Uh, so, so that's just a review. So today, I had a little bit of a quandary this week. Uh, so Thanksgiving, right? 
How many of you, I, I, I love Thanksgiving. Anybody else love Thanksgiving? I love Thanksgiving. I love it for multiple reasons. Uh, big food is one. Uh, but I, I really love the kind of family dynamic of Thanksgiving, to just be together with people you love. I love the idea that there's time set aside in our life to really consider being thankful. I really do. That's a huge thing for me. So I love Thanksgiving. So typically, my quandary was, on this date, the Sunday prior to Thanksgiving, I would usually do a Thanksgiving message. However, we're in the middle of this series in Ephesians, so I thought, well, do I continue the series or do I do Thanksgiving? It's kind of like, I don't know. I thought about it. I sort of knew in general what the text was this week. I mean, I kind of had read through the book a couple of times. But as I, Monday morning, I was uh, sitting in my reading chair. I have a reading chair at home. And I ran through the text again real quick. And there was a tiny little phrase in the middle of it that jumped out to me. And it says, but rather, Thanksgiving. And my quandary was resolved. So this morning, I'm going to continue in our series in Ephesians, Ephesians, but I I, I want to, um, this, this, the text today is focused on, it's sort of the flip side, the other side of the coin of last week. It's focused on behaviors that we're not supposed to do. Uh, It's more involved in the putting off of the old self than the putting on of the new self, And so we're going to go ahead and look at that passage, but we're going to do it in the context um, of, but rather thanksgiving, in the middle of the text, Paul says this, and, and what he really indicates there is that the opposite of those things that we're not supposed to do is to give thanks. And maybe we don't think of that in quite those terms. We don't think that giving thanks is the opposite of maybe other kinds of behaviors. But so uh, let's just Keep that as, as our framework and our context for today, and then we'll come back to it a little bit later. But first, we will pray and we will read our passage for this morning. So, Lord, we, uh, we thank you again for your word. We ask you to open it up to us and that you would cause it to enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning, that we would receive uh, what you have for us, that it would strengthen and enrich in our lives and spur us on to, to growth and life in you, to continually be putting on Uh, the new life that you've made available for us in Christ, and to really, Lord, learn to walk in the way of love uh, day in and day out. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we are going to pick up today in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, beginning with verse 3 and running through about verse 14 there. And it says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are, are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. 
That is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right. Uh, So rather than vital signs or indications of new life in Christ, these are red flags. They're warnings of things that will be harmful to the process of taking off the old and putting on the new and walking that life of love. They're, they're more reflective, if you will, of the old self than the new self. Paul really gives us kind of three categories of, of things here to avoid. The first being sexual immorality and impurity. The second being greed. And the third being sinful speech. So we will just kind of take a look at each of those in turn. Uh, first of all, sexual immorality and impurity. The Greek word for sexual immorality there is porneia. It's uh, where we get the English word pornography from. Uh, it's, it's a fairly all-encompassing term, though. It's broader than how we would, what we would generally consider pornography. and includes, essentially, uh, it's a reference to any sexual activity or behavior outside of the biblically prescribed confines of marriage. Really, anything outside of that, Paul would put in this category of uh, sexual immorality. Impurity, the word is a little bit uh, more difficult to say. It's akathartos. And that broadens the category even further. Because he now includes uh, our thought processes. So lustful thinking, as well as sort of the motivations of our heart even, would be included in impurity. So when you set your heart on uh, those impure things, Paul would say that too is a part of the process. So he uses the terms here of those two things, not even a hint of and, and uh, any kind of. That's fairly definitive. That pretty much covers the basis. Um, we said a few weeks ago, I, I, I'll just, I don't know if you remember, but I, I said that behind every sin is deception. All sin begins with a lie. The subtitle of our series in Ephesians, and really the focus of the letter of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is to learn to walk in the way of love. And immoral sexual expression is a distortion or a perversion, if you will, of love. Uh, Love is self-sacrificial. Immorality is self-gratifying. Love builds other people up. Uh, Immorality uh, fragments and tears other people down. Uh, You know, I have to say, I I am uh, disheartened but not really surprised by what's happening in culture right now, by the current sort of, I, I, don't, underst- I don't know, I don't get it fully, but the, the, the sort of series of scandals that's coming out like every day, every day. It's in the entertainment industry, sports, um, politics. And what, it's, what, it, what it does, to, what, it, what I see is this. It puts a spotlight on uh, the reality that sex is very often... Uh, used from a position of power uh, to gain control over someone else. And I think another thing that it spotlights to me is that our, we are, our culture is dece- has been deceived. We're living a lie. 
culturally speaking. And we are confused about what it means and looks like to walk in the way of love. And I, and I think that's consistent across the board in our culture today. If you listen to popular music, I, I love music. I, I listen to music all the time. And I don't, I don't restrict myself to worship music or Christian music. I, I, I love all kinds of music. If you listen to a lot of popular music today, what I, I don't know, I, I guess would be considered love songs. They're really not about love. And I was going to put some lyrics of a couple up just to illustrate the point. And then I looked at them and I thought better of it. Uh, I thought, let's not do that. So you've heard those songs. Um, You know, it's clear to me there's a distortion in our culture today of what it means to walk in the way of love and, and how that is ultimately expressed. The, the bottom line is this, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the bottom line is this, is, is that sexual expression is a gift from God. Sex is a gift from God. It's created to be a, a good thing. And in the, in the proper context, in the designated context of marriage, it is a good thing. It's a very good thing. It's not bad. It's not dirty. It's not wrong. Um, Outside of that context, though, it's a distortion. And it's destructive and self-gratifying and not self-sacrificial. So, so here, here's my encouragement to you in regard to this today, I, I think. In the previous passage, Paul said, don't be like them. Remember that? Don't be like them. And I, I think we've been presented here as the church, the body of Christ, God's holy people, an opportun- a tremendous opportunity to not be like them, to exemplify in our culture something different. I think it's a powerful, powerful statement if the people of God, God's holy people, would say, that's not the standard for us. Whatever is happening in culture is a distortion, and this is the standard for us. I think that's a powerful statement to make. I think it has the ability to transform culture, at least maybe slowly and bit by bit. But I really, I really would encourage you this morning to consider that. Um, second category here is greed. Greed is any drive to have more and then any behavior that causes you to abuse or neglect others in the pursuit of more. So I want to say something here. I want to be really, really clear on this. That having more is not the issue. There is not an injunction here against having more, earning more, making more. The focus is on the, again, attitude of your heart and what you have to do to get more. Has the drive for more taken precedence in your life over your relationship with God and or has it caused you to not walk in the way of love and to be in any way abusive of others in the pursuit of more for yourself. I had a a very interesting conversation this week, and it was not because of what I was teaching today. It came up randomly from that. But but here's I was talking to a friend of mine who is a 
a successful businessman. And he has a, he has a, a, a it's a, a small business, I suppose, but it's very successful. He makes a lot of money. And I was talking to him about his business a little bit. And he said, we've had opportunities to kind of grow and to, to, to expand and build a little bit, uh, but we've not done that. You know, he, he goes, I just, I'm a little fearful. And I go, what are you fearful of? And he goes, well, I just, he goes, I don't know, man. It's like, how much is too much? And how much do we need? And I, I struggle with some of that stuff. And I said to him, first of all, I go, well, you know what? I, I admire the fact that you are asking those questions and that you're struggling with it. I think that's good that you're considering that. But let me ask you a couple questions. He said, okay. I said, you have employees? He goes, yeah, we do. I said, how do you treat your employees? He goes, we try to be really good to them. We, we pay them well. We, we think we try to pay them a little bit above what the going rate would even be. And we, we take good care of them. And we, we cry, try to create sort of a, as much of a family kind of environment in our company as we can. I go, that's, that's a good thing. I go, so I'm, I'm, I go, I don't know, but I, he doesn't go to our church. He goes to another church. And I said, I'm guessing you probably give at your church. He goes, we tithe. We tithe 10% of our income to our church. I said, do you give to anything else beyond that? He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, we sponsor a couple kids with some different uh, sponsorship organizations. And we also support uh, our church works with LifeWater. They drill wells, and we support them. And we different time to time, somebody goes on a missions trip or whatever, and we try to give to that. Man, that's good. I go, so, so if you expanded your business a little bit, would you have to hire more employees? He goes, yeah, we would. So you would effectively create opportunity for more people to have the experience that people that work for your company now are having. He goes, yeah. I go, and you would have more money to give to your church and potentially more money to sow into other ministries and organizations that are doing good work in the world. He goes, yeah, we would. I go, well, you know, it's, I'm not you, but I, I would consider that as you think about it. I go, look, I've known you for a while. I don't, you're not a greedy person. You're, you're a generous person. I, I think God honors that, and I think maybe that's why you're doing as well as you're doing, and you should continue on. So greed is an attitude of your heart. It's not how much you have. That's the bottom line, okay? And uh, if, if, we are, if we are, look, I just think, you can be generous. You don't have to have a lot to be generous. You can be generous with what you have. And, and, and that's not just financially. That's in terms of resource, your time, your energy, your money, all those things. So, again, it's, it's not about what you have. It's about how you, you utilize the resources God's given you in your life, and it's an attitude. Uh, the third category here deals, again, with speech. Last week, we looked at words that were sort of in two things, One, words that were false so lying versus telling the truth. And then we also looked at words that build other people up, words of encouragement as opposed to words that tear other people down. So here Paul expands the list a little bit to include what really is what he's talking about in the text is crude or uh, sexually directed sort of commentary. Okay? And again, I want to make it clear here, the prohibition is not against joking, okay? It's okay to be funny. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to tell jokes and have a good time. The prohibition here is against dirty jokes, okay? That's really the issue. It's against crude commentary about other people. It's, it's about uh, crude commentary uh, that's degrading to another class of society, that's, that's what he's talking about. We know from the overall context of Scripture, and I want to encourage you in this, 
that laughter is good, God is happy, and joy is a blessing. God is not a killjoy. He is not, he is not sitting up there with an angry or unhappy look on his face. He, he, he is enjoying relationship in the Trinity with, with the, the Father, Son, the Spirit. He's enjoying relationship with you. He enjoys our worship. He enjoys when you take time and you pray and you talk to Him and walk with Him. He enjoys those things. And, he, and he, His heart's desire is that you would enjoy those things and you would enjoy life and you would enjoy one another. So it's not a prohibition against fun and laughter and joy in any way, shape, or form. I think I've seen that in the life of... I've seen some unhappy Christians. And I think that's the saddest thing in the world. There's a lot of unhappy people in life. I get that. But I don't get unhappy Christians. We have a lot to be thankful for, and we, we have a lot to be happy about. Amen? Amen? So, uh, Joy, um, you can be sure of this. Anybody whose life is marked by those things has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So, I want to say this. I I think it's important to to mention that um, any transgression is not grounds for dismissal, okay? Uh, uh, He's not saying if you ever participate in any of these things, you're out. No. Uh, The the passage has to be understood in in the larger context of Scripture, uh, and, and we know, we know, that through a process of confession and repentance that we can be forgiven and we can be in the good graces of God and in relationship and have that inheritance in His kingdom. We also know this, it's important, that we're all going to make mistakes. Every single one of us is, is going to blow it. No one is going to avoid all of these things all the time. That's just not going to happen. Bless you. These are warnings. They're red flags. Uh, these are, you know, there's sharks in the water. Don't go in there, okay? That's what he's saying right here. Avoid this. Don't let your life be directed or controlled or marked by these things. If your life is marked by these things, if this is the path you're going on, that, that's a subject for concern. If, in fact, you mess up and one of these things happens in your life, you make a mistake, uh, I think then you, you go back into uh, searching your own heart out and pursuing relationship with God and redirecting your life again. It's just watch out for the direction your life is going. These are warning signs for us to be careful of. Uh, he, he labels those, though, that have succumbed to that process as idolaters and recipients of God's wrath. That is some fairly uh, strong terminology there. So I want to make a couple comments. First thing, uh, number one, uh, the exact nature of the wrath of God here is not defined for us. What happens isn't detailed. He just says you're a recipient of, you receive God's wrath. He doesn't say what that wrath looks like. Um, it can, be, it can be easy for us to get caught up in that. What, what does that mean? I, I would suggest this to you, okay? Whatever it is, it's not good. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, it's bad. You don't want it. 
Uh, if you have an option, choose the other one. I'll take behind what, what's behind door number one, Monty. Uh, go the other way. Don't go that way, okay? God's holy people, take to heart Paul's encouragement here, uh, what he says in Scripture. If, if you do that, you won't have to worry about what God's wrath looks like. Amen? So go this way. Don't go that way. The second thing he, is he calls these people, he says that they're an idolater. I think, here, here's, this, is, this is my perspective. Um, idolatry is when you allow anything else to take the place of God in your life. Okay, that, that's what idolatry is. When you, we, we worship God, uh, we acknowledge Him. When you elevate anything else, whether that's a, a person, an attitude, a money, uh, anything, 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 to that level, uh, that's idolatry. So I want to read to you a psalm that deals with idolatry. This is Psalm 115. This exact same uh, phrasing is used in Psalm 136 as well, but, but here, this is 115. He's contrasting people that worship God with people that don't, and he says, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. So they're statues in the shapes of other things. <clears throat> they have mouths, but they're not alive. They can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, they can't hear. Noses, they can't smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Now, here, pay very close attention. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So these idols are in the shape of people or animals or whatever. They look... They're a semblance of life, but they have no life. We, you and I, were created in the image of God. And that's what makes us fully human and fully alive, being created in the image of God. And, and, and let me say this, the, the putting on of the new self, the transformational process we go through in relationship with Christ, the, the more, our, our goal, our, our ideal in life is to become like Jesus, right? We want to be more and more Christ-like in our life. The, the more like him we become, the more fully human and fully alive we are. And when we allow something else to take that role in our life, the exact opposite happens, and we, we lose our humanity. We become less human and less alive, and we become like those things that we worship. It's just something to think about. Um. Verse 7 says, do not be partners with them. What does that mean? So what exactly does that mean? There are two sort of polar opposite schools of thought on this. One school of thought is that you become sort of monastic and you kind of completely extricate yourself from society and, you know, sort of uh, remove yourself into some sort of kind of hermetically sealed Christian bubble and you stay there. And you don't interact with anyone outside of the bubble. And you, you, um, go to, you listen to Christian music and buy Christian books and drive a Christian car. And you wear Christian clothes. And you um, eat Christian granola bars. I don't know. And, and, and you don't talk to anybody or ever go outside because you don't want to get dirty. Um, the Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, 
The other end of the spectrum, I think, says that what this means is two things. Don't be, don't be a partner in business. Don't take a business partner on that's not a Christian or get married to a non-Christian. That's, that's sort of the other extreme. I don't think it's that simple. All right? Here's what I think. I think we like things like that. We like things to be spelled out for us. Follow these three steps. Uh, you know, shampoo, rinse, repeat, right? That's easy. I can do that. Uh, we, like, we like that. But I don't think God necessarily always gives it to us in that kind of a package because here's what I think. God has given us the ability to think and discern and pray and listen and seek Him out and desires us to do those things. So we are supposed to process how this works out in the course of our lives. I would say this. We absolutely are supposed to interact and relate and talk with and spend time with people who do not yet know Jesus. I think the overall counsel of Scripture makes that very clear. That's what Jesus did, right? WWJD, what did Jesus do? He hung out with sinners. That's what he did. And we are absolutely called to do that. There is no doubt in my mind that removing ourselves from society is not what God has called us to do. We are to be right in the thick of it. However, however, ladies and gentlemen, we are to be salt and light in that process. The goal is to be influential on the lives of those that we interact with. To be the aroma of Christ. When your life is filled with the presence of Jesus, Paul says you actually have the aroma of Christ. It comes out of you. People see it. Have you ever had somebody ask you, what's, what is, what's up with you? What is, anybody ever had that? It happens all the time. I, I remember John Wimber telling a story one time. He, he got on an elevator, and, and there was a gal in the elevator, and he pushed the button, and they're going up, and he goes, kind of nice, isn't it? And he just said, the presence of God. You're, you come into the presence of God with someone, and you go, wow, what is that? That's what we're called to do. At any point in time in which the tables get turned and we begin to be influenced negatively by others that are around us and we begin to drift away from influencing them with the salt and light being who God's called us to be, I think then we partner with darkness. We, we, we've gone the wrong way. So the goal is to be with people but not to allow the negative influence of the world to you know, it, it draw us in that direction, but for us to, to be that salt and light and draw people towards God. And, and so that's not as clearly defined. It, it, re- it really causes us to have to reflect and consider where we are, what we're doing, really day by day in any given setting. Where am I in this setting? Is this, a, is, this, is this a good place for me to be or not to be? And sometimes we have to make a decision. I don't think I want to be there because that might not be a good place for me to be. Sometimes that's just the way it is. All right, last uh, little section here. For you were once darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed to the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, That last little quote, by the way, just to parenthetical comment. It sounds like it's from a psalm or something. It's not. It's not in Scripture anywhere. Probably was, though, actually an early worship psalm uh, that was sung. And when he says that's why this is said, it was probably actually sung. Uh, 
Not that you really care about that, but I just thought I'd tell you that. Um, the point of that passage is live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. And let me tell you again, that, that, that's a process. That doesn't happen overnight. You don't wake up one day and know what pleases the Lord. You, you, you continually discern what pleases the Lord and live as children of light ongoing. We, we will make mistakes, guys. We really will. And I, and I, I want to... Look, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to excuse sin in any way, but I do want to say that we're all in process and we're all growing and moving toward the Lord together. That's what God's called us to do. And so when we make mistakes, let's help each other up and move along. Fair? Okay, that's what we do. Uh, keep looking, keep growing, keep moving in that direction. That's the idea. Um, I want to I close by kind of circling back to where we began this morning and say, but rather thanksgiving. And, and all of this whole passage is sort of what not to do. These are the red flags. These are the warnings. This is the things that we want to avoid. And in the middle of that passage is this little three-word phrase, but rather thanksgiving. What Paul says here is the opposite of those things is actually giving thanks. I think that's huge. That was, that was like... For me, I mean, it was sort of a light bulb. It was a revelatory moment when, when I read that Monday morning in my little reading chair, and I realized I could spend a considerable amount of time and energy working at not doing these things. But maybe my time and energy would be better spent giving thanks and therefore minimizing the amount of time and energy I have to spend on not doing those things. Does that make any sense to you? Look, we have a responsibility. I'm not saying we don't have responsibility. I do think there's a self-evaluation process and that to some degree we need to, to be mindful of where we are in life and sort of how we're living our life. That said, that said, I really believe the effort required to... Focus on not doing negative behavior could be greatly reduced if we spent more time giving thanks. Can I say this? It's really hard to be greedy when you're giving thanks for what you have. It's hard to be self-gratifying when you're giving thanks for what you have. And I mean that in any context. So if you are thinking, I need to have more money, but rather than thinking that you're just giving God thanks for what you have, it's going to be hard to be greedy. You're going to be more content. If you're thinking if lustful thoughts, impure thoughts, you know, if you're thankful for your life, for your spouse, for where you are in life, and just thank God for that, it's going to be hard to do that. It's, it really is. It's hard to be, to be lustful when you're giving thanks for your spouse. It really is. It's almost impossible. I'm just thinking that the more thankful we are in our own hearts, the the less of an issue these things will become in our lives. And so this week, you know, Thanksgiving, right? And, And again, I mentioned earlier I love Thanksgiving, and I think this week we're all probably, my turkey prep, I cook, and the turkey prep begins today. I'm just telling you, okay? It's... It's going down, man. Um, as we're preparing for our meal and our time together and our celebration, our families, friends, whatever you're doing, you know, do that. Do it with your, pour your heart into it. 
Um, take time in the midst of all of it and just give thanks. Just be thankful. I, just be thankful. Every one of us, I don't, regardless of the circumstances of your life today, and I, I know you guys, I know some of you are not in great circumstances. I know some of us are dealing with things that are very, very difficult and challenging in life, and I do not want to diminish that in any way. All I want to say is that we all have things to be thankful for. And if we can give thanks together to, to God for what we have in our life, I think it will help us in the process of walking in the way of love. So let's, uh, let's stand and we'll close.